Amen. Well, it has been an exciting few days here at uh, Rock Bridge. I know we're still a fraction of uh, worshiping in person that we normally have here, but man, God is busy. God is working. Uh, I want to thank everybody at home who helped with the pumpkins, 740, 50. I, wasn't, I lost count after two uh, but we touched every single one of those. Everybody was out there. And then the pumpkin patch exploded yesterday. Um, and so there was just people coming in. And uh, I think they did a record sales. But more than that, we were meeting people in our community. And then Night of Hope was fantastic. Uh, we go out there to try to bless the communities. And it was amazing what God did last night. We got blessed. And uh, a good, a new, our new friend, Julie, is here with us today, uh, who gave her testimony to us and just blessed our socks off. It was tremendous. So it's, yes, yes, yes. So it is, as a pastor, it is exciting to see the church, even in these situations, even with a pared down uh, congregation in worship, uh, but having folks at home and just, just seeing how God's beginning to work in our church is just phenomenal, and I, I just praise God. All right, we're going to continue in our series. Um, our scripture today comes out of the chapter, or John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Listen for the word of the Lord. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And Jesus said, teacher, this woman, and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the, law of Mo in the law, the Moses command us, uh, commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would guide the meditations of my heart, Lord, the words of my mouth, that each one that is gathered here in this place, that each one listening and worshiping at home would receive by your Holy Spirit what you have for us here today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week was maybe a little more touchy-feely. I gave some testimonial about myself, shared some stories. This week is going to be, a, in its presentation, it's going to be a little more theological, a little more philosophical, kind of a, from a worldview standpoint. 
But I think it is, it is very important in our culture today, in Christianity today, to, to kind of revive this in, in this new presentation. Uh, it might be new to some of you, but basically I want to ask, open with a question, are humans basically good or are we, do we often fall woefully short of who we, God intended us to be? Do we have, as one theologian said, a great ability to muck things up? And that's a question, whether we ask it officially, that's really a tension in our world and our culture today. These two worldviews. The first one is a secular view called humanism, right? And it, it, it says that, that people are basically good. A formal definition of it is uh, it is a... Uh, well, now this is uh, anthropology, um, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But humanism says that people are basically good, and, and if you kind of give to themselves, they will look out for one another, and they will care for one another, and the goodness of their hearts will rise to the top. The other view, that we fall woefully short all the time, and that the ven uh, veneer of civilization is, is, is very thin, that we're basically bad at heart, that we're separated from God, is the biblical view. Stated very clearly in Romans chapter 5, it says, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And in certain theological circles and articles that have been written lately in some podcasts, uh, terms have, new terms have been, they have been around for a while, but they are starting to be in conversation. And it's called uh, high anthropology and low anthropology. It's basically, here's the definition of that. Um, and, and this is an actual field of study. It's, it's Christian theology or uh, theological theology. And it, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, theological anthropology or Christian anthropology, which primarily deals with the comparative study of, of, that's, of the physical and social from a biblical perspective. And so it looks at humanity, basically talking about humanity, and, and people say, oh, well, that person has a high anthropology or that person has a low anthropology. And this is very important because the high anthropology is based on humanism. It is based on the fact that we are basically good. And there's a lot of problems with that. From a scriptural standpoint, scripture says that Satan is the father of uh, lies. And I think one of the biggest lies that we have fallen for both in and outside the church is this idea of humanism. This idea of having a high anthropology, this rosy um, view of humanity. It goes against, for me, my personal experience of myself. It goes against what I see on the news. It goes against for the fruit we see in the world today. It doesn't take long to see that uh, things are, as the theologian said, mucked up, right? And who's responsible for that? We are. And this is very important because this is the basis of Scripture. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's look a little closely. I have the, uh, my soapbox issues. I always have a lot more uh, stuff 
to say than time I have to say it. So I'll try to whittle this all together. So I want to just look at some differences between what it means to have a high anthropology and a low anthropology. First off, a high anthropology is based on human standards, which makes it fluid and subjective. It's, it, it's based on the laws. In our text today, the Pharisees were, were judging this woman, and they were using the law according to their translation. They became arbitrators of the law, and they were, had added so many of their own additional rules and regulations that they became the judge and the jury. But even in our text, they weren't following the law according to the law of Moses. In Leviticus, it said that the man and the woman must be brought together and then stoned. Right? And so they weren't even, they didn't even care about this woman. This woman was but a pawn to them. And so they had become the deciders of what is right and wrong. When we use human standards, what righteousness or goodness, we might say, fluctuates based on who's in charge. Jesus says in Matthew 23 of the Pharisees, he said, Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do what they say, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads on people and they put them on others' shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move a finger. So this is where we get the idea of hypocrites in the church. People saying one thing and doing another thing. And that fluctuates because oftentimes it's based on human standards. Look, in, look even in the church, in Christianity, in some denominations, man, I wouldn't, I'd be a heretic because of certain things I do or certain things I believe or th certain things I don't do. In other denominations or churches, I would be a biblical conservative. But it's all based not on biblical stances, but what they have added to Scripture. Do you see how it fluctuates? How it's fluid, it's subjective when it's based on human standards that comes with a high anthropology because if humans are the ultimate good, they become the standards, but we know better. But if we have a low anthropology, it is not based on human standards, but it is based on the righteousness of God. It is based specifically for us as Christians, it is based on the righteousness of Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, Paul is saying, I've considered everything before this, all that I've earned, all that I've declared garbage against knowing Christ and what I found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that that comes through faith in Christ. In other words, Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. And it is based on the righteousness of God. And in Malachi 3.6, God says, I, the Lord God, do not change. God is, to, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the standard of what we measure ourselves, what leads us, what guides us, what is true righteousness, does not 
move, does not change. When it's based on human standards, it fluctuates. It's subjective. Christ, God's righteousness is objective and eternal. Now, we look at this, that we see humanism and, and the, that this high anthropology has crept into the church just by how we use the word sin. Or should I say don't use the word sin? All right? Sometimes as pastors or you get in and, and, and there's almost this negative connotation in some areas about sin. Oh, don't say sin. That's kind of off-putting. And it, it's like, it's the basis of the good news. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. It's what is wrong that makes uh, the bad news is so bad because the good news is so good. I literally was at a church that will remain nameless this was a few churches ago, and I was there, and second sermon, I was new to the church. I wasn't even preaching about sin. I just said, referred to sin and said sin in my sermon. And on the way out, an uh, older gentleman stopped. He said, hey, th- appreciate that sermon. We, you talked about something today we hadn't heard in four years. I said, what's that? He said, sin. How do we preach the good news if we don't talk about the bad news? If we're not truthful about the bad news? And so the standards of what is righteous, and, and, and that leads, and those are tied together. The standards and what is righteous fluctuates back and forth. When you have a high anthropology, when it is a low anthropology, when it is the reality of sin, then we know what the standards are. Look at Jesus in our scripture. He doesn't rationalize her sin. He doesn't turn his wrath or his attention onto the religious leaders and the Pharisees or try to rationalize or minimize her sin. He said, where have they condemned you? No, no one has condemned you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He acknowledged it. Because that does not change. And this fluctuation with a high anthropology of the standard of righteousness leads into the next difference, and that is a high anthropology of how we view people and a low anthropology of how we view people. In our text, we see there's judgment and condemnation. Well, that's what humanism or this idea of uh, that we're all basically good creates. When you have a standard that fluctuates based on who's in charge or what group is leading or where you find yourself, then what is your standard? If, it's, if your standard is human, then you look to other humans to judge yourself. And you, in, in kind, it becomes a competition, a, co- a comparison, which leads to judgment and condemnation. And we begin to look at other people say, to feel better about ourselves. We go, boy, look at that poor guy. Or look at that woman. Man, that's a tough situation. Look at that adulterous woman. Or whatever it might be. say, I'm a lot better than that. I'm pretty good. I feel good about myself. The problem with that subjective standard is there's other people. We go out in the world and they are sacrificing their time uh, 24-7 and serving and are the light of Christ. is like, oh man, compared to them, I don't feel so hot. 
right? And we begin to look for those people that we are, feel better about ourselves then and con- uh, condemn them and to judge them. And then also the second part of that is we begin to hold up their sin as worse than our sin. We become competitive about our sin. Yeah, I know I do this and this, but I don't do that. And so we begin to judge others. Matthew 7 says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That by the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in some, your brother's or sister's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eyes? Jesus is very clear about judging. We are not to be the judge or the jury. We are so grace and mercy. And you know why we're not to be the judge? Or we're not to condemn other people? Because we're not worthy to be the judges. I am definitely not worthy to judge anybody else. But if we have this high anthropology of this, this arrogant view of humanity, it breeds judgment. It brings breeds condemnation, whereas a low anthropology breeds mercy and grace. Look at our text. Jesus used the truth about humanity. He used the truth, uh, this idea, uh, this concept we're talking about today, this low anthropology to diffuse and fix this situation. These Pharisees and these religious leaders who like to take the the seat of honor, as Jesus says in Scripture, and be out in front and to be glorified by others, they come and they judge and they condemn because they are so much better than this woman. Even though they've committed a lot of sins just in their judgment and their condemnation. And Matthew 23, Jesus goes on about their list of shortcomings. And Jesus comes, he said, oh, okay. I'm sticking some words in here to make it connect, right? He walks into this high anthropology situation where there's judgment and condemnation. He goes, okay, let's get to the facts. Who of you is without sin? Who of you fall short? Don't measure up. I'll give it to the religious leaders. At least they were honest. Right? And so Jesus, and, and that's the thing, that leads to our next difference. And this is an important difference, is that is that it, this, where your anthropology is, your view of humanity, will determine how you view and treat people. Right? If, if you have a high anthropology, if you ascribe to humanism, uh, whether you realize it or not, but that's, your, that's what you think, that people are basically good, that breeds competitiveness and comparison that leads to condemnation and judgment. And so it produces, ultimately, as we see in our story, low compassion for other people. And so that's why I said it's one of the greatest lies. It's one of the greatest illusions because it sounds all nice and optimistic and pessimistic. Basically, we're pretty good. Sounds all fluffy, right? And, and, and that we're at our core, fall short, and don't measure up and aren't who we should be, not the image of God that we should be. 
That sounds a little negative and pessimistic. But the one that sounds fluffy and rosy and more positive and optimistic, it leads to less compassion and grace for other people. But when you have a low anthropology and you, you think, who am I to judge somebody else? I fall short all the time. I'm not who I should be. How can I judge other people? Then you will begin to have compassion and grace for other people you, because you live in humility. You know, there's a saying in humanism says, you can be whatever you want to be. It, you can be whatever you want to be. That sounds great, doesn't it? No, you can't. See, that doesn't sound right right there. That shows you where humanism has, has crept in. Because I, I just said, no, you can't. You know how I know? Because I wanted to be a professional football player. And I was a pretty good football player. Probably could have done, had some letters from college, some D2s. Maybe I could have sneaked into a low D1. But I couldn't be a D1, a Texas, a Michigan type football player. I'd never be a professional, no matter how hard I tried. And the reason I say that is because we are human. And our best efforts, our best abilities at some point will fall short. And it's not just in our bodies, but in our minds and in our souls. My family's here, or part of my big family. I'm a, I'm a pretty good husband. Des, don't say anything. But I'm not a great husband. Some days I'm a better husband than other days. I'm a pretty good father. Don't say it. I'm not a great father. I fall short. I've made mistakes. I count, both, in both areas, I count the truth of Scripture. Love covers a multitude of sins. So we love each other. But the point is, I fall short. You fall short. None of us are who we should be. Well, one exception. I am a great papa. Right, Paisley? So we got a yes, right? Okay. She's thinking. <laughs> but you, you get my drift, right? We all fall short. And on my best day, on my best day, I might be better than some people, but I'm not as good as many people. On my worst day, I might be better than a few people, but I'm not as good as a lot of people. See, God's standard is way up here. On my best day, I'm up here. On my worst day, I'm down here. We all fall short of the glory of God. When Jesus, in Jesus' command to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, I'm not even close. But because of that, I have love I have in my humility, which a low anthropology breeds humility, which breeds love and compassion and grace and mercy. And it is because we have all fallen short of the glory of God, because none of us are living into the image that God he has created us to be, that Jesus came. 
Because what I'm talking about with low anthropology is none of us are worthy. But here's the good news. That sounds pessimistic in a humanistic world. It sounds like it's not positive about humanity. But and it sounds like bad news. And it is. We're not worthy. But praise God, here's the good news. We don't have to be. Because Jesus is. Jesus went to the cross to fill the gap. To bridge the gap for us. And as we come to communion, we are reminded every week in this church through the broken body of Christ, through the shed blood of the cup, that Jesus gave his life that we might have life. He gave his life because we fall short, because we're not who we're supposed to be. Do you see how important it is? It is the basis of our faith. It is the reason Christ went to the cross. When we say this world is screwed up and when it falls short, who put Jesus on the cross? I did. You did. But he went willingly for us. And when we come to the table every week, we have an opportunity to, if we will, to be honest with ourselves and to pray and to, before we partake and think about, Lord, where did I fall short this week? And we come and we lay our burdens at the cross and Jesus takes them. And when we come to church with a repentant heart, a humble heart, as we take, as we pray or as we take the elements in our spirits, we can hear those words. No matter what kind of week I have, I can kneel in my spirit, kneel before God and take the bread and take the juice and hear God saying, Jim, has no one condemned you? Neither do I. Go this week and sin no more. Because of Christ, we can do that every week. We can do that anytime Jesus calls us or we're convicted to. So as we come to communion, let us remember that all of us have fallen short. None of us measure up. None of us are who we should be. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. On the Titanic, they had luxury suites. They had steerage. They had steerage in the inner bowels of the ship and everything in between. And you know, when the ship was going down and, and their fate was desperate, it wasn't a question. When they got into the lifeboat, it didn't matter who you were or where you stayed or how much money you had. You are all in the same boat. In Christ, we are all in the same boat. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. That while we were yet sinners, you came to give your life that we might have life. That we might be restored and reconciled to a pure and holy God. That we might begin to be sanctified into who you intended us to be. Lord, help us to be humble of heart admitting that we fall short. Lord, that you love us more than we can ever imagine. And Lord, in you, Lord, you have given us grace and mercy. And you call us to love others like you have loved us and to show them grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.